team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podge Community. I'm Josh Smith. Mike, I know you're going to hate this, and I didn't tell you. So to give the audience a peek behind the scenes, Mike and I will talk for about 10 to 15 minutes before the show, talking about what we're going to do. I'm kind of springing this one on you, buddy, but uh, got to shout out. I know you hate soccer. Got to shout out Forge FC, man. Won another CPL championship this weekend, winning their fourth title. Five years in the league, four championships. The goal that was scored that won the game, I'm sure you haven't seen it simply because you don't like the sport, which is fine. I'm not trying to convert you or anything, but when a Hamilton team wins a championship, we got to talk about it, buddy. And for this team to be four or five, five title games in all five seasons, like even you have to admit, this is the type of dynasty that we don't see in professional sports. And we're going to look back on this in 25, 30 years and be like, Oh, this was one of the greatest sports dynasties that this country's ever seen. Like to me, they're up there with those like 1970s Montreal Canadiens or this being a CFL podcast, that Edmonton team that ran off five in a row. Like this is up there in that pantheon with those teams. So I don't know. I know you don't want to talk about it. I won't, won't make you talk about it too much, but pretty impressive that this team's won another championship. Is it not? Yeah, it is. And, uh, it's a little, it makes me a little bit jealous because the, you know my team's the Tiger Cats and obviously we haven't won a championship in a long time and then this team shows up and wins you know four out of five or whatever it was you said I'm sorry I didn't get the whole spiel because I got disconnected um, during your talk there but um congrats congratulations to them congratulations to all the fans of Forge FC and uh, yeah I don't like soccer but uh, you know I'm happy to see Hamilton get. Uh, another championship under their belt, whether that be in soccer, cricket, or whatever type of sport. Because growing up, you know, that was my city. I grew up in a small town and Hamilton, I didn't live in Hamilton, but Hamilton was my city growing up. So I'm happy for them. It's been a pretty, and I keep updating this on social media every year, pretty good era for sports in this city. Now, obviously there's the caveat of The Bulldogs don't play here anymore, and the Badgers have left. But since 2018, Forge has been to five title games. They've won four. The Ticats have been to two Grey Cups. The Hamilton Honey Badgers were here. Their last season in Hamilton won the championship. The Bulldogs have gone on a, I think, two Memorial Cup. They won two OHL titles. I think they went to the Memorial Cup finals a couple of years ago. And that's not even counting the Hamilton Cardinals, who have haven't won anything, but man, they were pretty popular this past summer, getting some like record crowds at uh, Bernie Arbor stadium, which is literally like a 10 minute walk from where I live. Like, it's really kind of neat to kind of see. Cause I always thought Hamilton, like it's a tie cats town, right? Like, and it always will be. 
And, you know, the Ticats winning the Grey Cup would be kind of the cherry on top of all of this. It's like all the sports success, then finally the Tabbies win one. It'd be, I don't know, I think the city would explode with with happiness. But Mm -hmm. it's really nice to see kind of sports, because growing up, it was just the Ticats. And, yeah, there'd be junior hockey teams or, you know, the Bulldogs were in the AHL and they're, you know, here and there and stuff. But they had a basketball team that was very successful. They have a baseball team that's doing very well. The soccer club obviously is as successful, as I said, as any team pretty much in any sport around the world, quite frankly. It's really a good time to be a sports fan in this state. I know people will be like, oh, well, the Ticats haven't won yet. It doesn't mean squat. But it's like if you look beyond just that one, you know, provincial border there, that one, if that's your team and I get it, you're listening to this show, you're probably a big Ticat fan. But if you expand your horizons beyond that, and even with the Ticats, like five straight years in the playoffs, two great cup appearances, like, yes, they haven't achieved what we all hope they can achieve, Really fun time to be a sports fan in this city. No matter what sport you like, there's something for you. And the team usually does pretty darn well. So got to like that a little bit. Yeah, and it's nice to see, you know, uh, Canadian sports leagues not necessarily thriving, but not dying, like, immediately. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, if they introduced a soccer league and a uh, basketball league, Canadian only, I don't think it would last very long. And I didn't think that the CPL or the CEBL would last very long uh, when they were, when they came into existence, to be honest, but they've, uh, they've got through their first couple years and uh, they're still going. So good for them. And they both made it through a pandemic, which is like, yeah. Like, I remember we were like, CFL's got to merge with the XFL. And I mean, look at mm. what the XFL, like the XFL once again, didn't make it to a second season, which to me, even though I know it's merging with another league, it's merging with the USFL, but I just find it funny that every single iteration of that league never gets to year two under that banner. But like the CFL has got to merge with the XFL to survive. And now the CFL's back right. and the rate TV ratings are increasing and butts more butts are going into the seats. And that's a good thing. So it's like sport in this country is really and I think you and I have talked about this before where like we don't put as much emphasis on sports in Canada as like, you know, the Americans do essentially, but to see a basketball league do really well, a soccer league do really well. Hockey's always going to do well. And the CFL on, on an uptick, like it's, it's just great to see our, our local stuff and, and not have it compared to like, I go to all the forge matches and you see people from other cultures. You see people like they brought, there was a, I mean, we get more attention from that league from Americans in some respects than we do from, yeah. from places like TSN and Sportsnet, unfortunately. But there was a guy who the CBS has like an online soccer show. And one of their hosts came up to watch the game. And it's like, you know, we always dealt with the CFL fans like, Oh, it's not the NFL. So it's not as good. You don't really deal with that with the other stuff. I think it's more of a celebration of what that is. And I think we see less of it. I think now that as CFL fans, to get it back into what we normally talk about. We don't worry anymore about like, like, I don't care if any, you know, I, I know you're like this used to be when you were younger, you felt like you always had to defend the CFL. And now it's like, I think of the old adage of those who get it, get it. And those who don't never will kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like yep. Yep. CFL is doing great. Anymore. All the leagues are doing great. Like it's just, it's just great to be a sports fan in this country at this time. It is in this era i guess i should say yeah and it's the same thing where i am in edmonton you know they got the the basketball team yep. um i'm pretty sure they have a cpl team not anymore uh, there's a baseball team oh no oh uh, yeah edmonton, nah, FC, the yeah, fc edmonton folded they the ownership yeah. but they're they're hoping to get back to edmonton at some point but that's uh 
But yeah. even then, team, teams uh, Edmonton folds, but the league doesn't. You know, I mean, in the CFL was always like, oh my god, a team folded, we're screwed. Like this is the end. And mm-hmm. again, you you build up where you can, and and you find where you can. But yeah, you're right, Edmonton. Like the C the CEBL and Edmonton's are super popular. Like. Yeah, they, well, yeah. It also helped that stingers. much like Forging here, the Stingers were, I think what they went two of the first three championships. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, if you like any sport, it seems like Edmonton, Hamilton, kind of around the country, you're going to find something to latch on to. And it, 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 just to echo your sentiments from a few minutes ago, it is really nice to just kind of see local Canadian leagues do well and people to care about them and not just judge them against, well, I'm going to the, Cardinals game, but man, it's not major league baseball. Of course it's not, but that doesn't yeah. mean you can't enjoy yourself and people are enjoying themselves more and more. There are almost 14,000 people at the forge games. They usually get about 5,500. So people are catching on to these leagues and hopefully they can just continue to grow and we continue to get bigger, produce better players and make more money. And then the players make more money and then it's all good. Right? Exactly. But we got some playoffs to talk about with our tiger cats. We do. We do. So before we get into that though, we didn't do a live show after the game last week. I, mostly because I was at the Forge game watching them win another championship. But the Ticats did play last Saturday. They lost 22-20 to the Alouettes. It was a meaningless game, which is another reason why we didn't bother. Mike, Mike didn't do a, a show by himself just because it was like the game didn't matter in the standings. They were both locked into the two and the three seeds. We knew they were going to play each other this weekend in the East semifinal. Everyone listening to that has known that now for weeks. But just to kind of touch on the game before we move on to talking about the playoff game, the more important game, Anything about that game you want to talk about, though? Like, is did anything stand out to you? Anything that you think either team kind of got from that contest or something that you got that makes you maybe concerned or excited for the playoff matchup in a couple of days? Or was it just two teams play, kind of playing out the string in a meaningless game that was somewhat entertaining? I, I ended up watching it back when I got home. It was a decently entertaining game, but I don't I don't think I learned really all that much from it. What about you? Mm. No, I didn't learn much. Uh, it, it broke my heart to not... You know, the Hamilton Tiger Cats didn't get to that elusive nine and nine record. It really bothered me, but it didn't matter anything. So, you know, uh, there was one wasn't much to take away from this one. Bo Levi Mitchell, I thought, underperformed um, in his time in the game. But, uh, you know, other than that, it's uh, it was basically a preseason game. These te- two teams weren't showing anything offensively. They're not going to show anything, especially when they're going to match up in the playoffs the following week. It surprised me to see the Montreal Alouettes do that little pooch punt kick yep. again. But um, and some people were saying, you know, you shouldn't be showing that before the playoffs. But I, I kind of disagree. It's like they're showing it, so they'll be worried about it. The Hamilton Tiger Cats will be worried about it, and maybe they come up to the receivers, and then they can throw over top of them, right? So it's uh, it was an interesting game, but there's not much to really unravel here. No, I thought the defense played well. I thought special teams was good. Tyreek McAllister had the big return for a touchdown of what was a missed field goal, I believe. So he finally gets yeah. off the schneid in that regard. He had a couple called back. He had a couple that nearly went the distance, but he got caught or or tripped up or what have you. So it was nice to see him. And especially he had a rough start to that game. He has the fumble on the opening kickoff. There was a drop pass there. Mm-hmm. Bobbles another punt later in the game. And then he kind of makes up for it with that. So that was kind of nice to see. I didn't think the offense... Was, was that great? Sean Thomas Erlington had a great second half when he took over as, as running back 80 something yards. There is something from that though, that I, I did want to talk about. It's kind of like, I'm maybe flown under the radar is not right, but Erlington scores a touchdown and he's clearly in They the replay shows like he wasn't down. He reaches across the goal line. And then 
they let like a minute run off the clock kind of like in confusion, which again, talks to, tells you about the, well, the 22nd play clock, 22nd play clock's a mess. And then they call it a touchdown. Did you find it odd? They didn't put the time back on the clock because if the ball was, if that would have been a fumble and returned for a touchdown, and then it would have been, no, the play didn't count. He was down by contact. It's their ball at the two. You would put the time back on the clock. The game didn't happen. Yet in this instance, they don't put, I just thought it was really odd because if he scores a touchdown, the clock's done. Like that's the, the clock stopped when you score a touchdown and they don't put the time back on the clock. And I know like, again, the game didn't matter and all that stuff, but I just thought it was really weird that you wouldn't put that like 55, 60 seconds back on the clock, which the Ticats really could have used at the end of the game. They, they, they did get a good return from McAllister to set them up kind of at midfield, just needing a field goal to win the game. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of a, it, it, it's not something it's something I tried to get into my post game piece, but I just ran out of space getting it in there. Did you find that bizarre? Like, shouldn't the time have gone back on the clock in that situation? I did find it odd, but I just it's hard for me to understand sometimes the, the CFL clock. clock rules. Yes, it is. It's just it's just like they run it on. There's a lot of had my mind when I'm watching CFL games and the clock running or it stops or yeah I did find it odd and I find a lot of things odd about the way that the clock runs in the CFL yeah I don't necessarily care for it all my like sometimes guys go out of bounds but the clock still runs sometimes like it runs on yeah. extra points I don't know there there's some very bizarre clock rules in this league and I think people hear the like like I said, the 22nd play clock. So the game's, but it's not because how could nearly a minute run off the clock? I think he was, I think the touchdown was scored at like the 10 five mark. And like the extra point was lined up for it. Like the nine fifteen mark. And it's like, how does like, again, if there's a 22nd play clock, how did 50 seconds, you know, uh, anyway, I I'm with you, man. Like there's not much that I got from this. I, I saw a lot of anger towards that punt from the Alouettes again. It's like, it should be, like taken out or they should man it's fun it it burned them i don't care it burned the the uh red blacks early in the season let's stop taking and i think i said that at the time too like let's stop trying to legislate fun out of the game the, these games are so robotic to begin with we don't get as much uh i don't know like daredevil devil make hair like teams going for stuff mm. This is something at least it's interesting. And yeah, okay, so he punts the ball six inches and falls on it. It's a first down on a second and 20. And oh man, it's a travesty for the game. It's a rule, man. It's a it's a little known rule that is finally being exploited. I got no problems with it. What about you? I I think it's creative by Jason Moss to look into the rule book and utilize this because, like you said. It's a rule. It's not against the rules. You can do it. So I don't have a problem with them executing this play, but I do think it should be tinkered with in the offseason. I, I think that you should have to punt the ball to the first down marker. And, you know, it just, I know we're not going to gain any fans. You know, it's like, I, I'm, we're pretty stagnant with our fandom in the CFL, but it, people look at this and it's just like ludicrous to them. Like it just makes the league look like a joke. Um, so I would look at it in the off season and, and tweak it. See, I don't think it makes the league look like a joke. I, I don't agree with that. I just think it's, it's a, okay. I know I'm going to get you on my side with this one. Like 
the the loser point is more egregious to me than a a one foot punt for a first down. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. to me makes makes the league look worse than I think this does. This is one of those things where it's like you see it and you're like, huh? And then you're like, wow, that's in the rules. And and people are kind of like, well, that's that's like maybe it's a little gimmicky, maybe it's a little hokey, maybe it's a little cheap. But at the end of the day, it's like I don't know. There's these things are you can compare is is it any worse for the game than than what the philadelphia eagles do on fourth and short where they just line up in a rugby scrum and shove each other like people are saying that that's bad for the game down in the states yeah, too so it's not like, as bad I don't it's know. like they're achieving a first down you know what i mean they're not kicking it two centimeters and then laying on it you know what i mean no, it's just but like, like but, it the, just, but the guy the guy holding the ball Ugh, i watched the I eagles it. game the guy holding the ball's feet aren't even on the ground and he get, picks up a first down and not because he jumped but because he's six foot one and got shoved by a bunch of six foot five, 300 pound guys, like right. you could easily yeah. just say, like, anytime someone exploits a rule in the rule book, there's always people who are like, this is bad for the game and it's got to be changed. And it's like, eh, I mean, how many times we've seen this now work? What, twice? Like there's there's 81 games in the CFL season. We've seen it work in they, I, they've seen they've done this. Jeshurun and we and people forget this. He tried this against the BC Lions earlier in the season and yeah. missed. So yep. it's like this has been tried in 81 games this year. It's been tried three times. Now, does that speak to the other teams not being willing to do it? Does that speak to Montreal being more creative? I don't know. But three times in 81 games. So three plays out of, geez, there's what, 65, 70 plays in a game. Like we're talking thousands, thousands of plays here. I, don't know. I just I think people getting up in arms about it to me is just a little bit of an overreaction. We don't see it all that often. No one really does it. Eh. Leave it be. They're gonna start I, to. They're gonna start to. We're gonna. We'll I, I hope they do. I hope. I hope they do it against Montreal in the playoffs. I really oh, do. That'd be fantastic. That would be amazing. Um, and yeah. I, 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 I will admit, I hated it more when it was done to our team. Of course. Though, <laughs> the, the the time that they did it against BC or whatever, I was like, oh, okay. But then they do it against us, and in, in a meaningless game too. And I'm just like, ah, disgusting. Change the rule. So, yeah. So <laughs> you know, I'll admit that. No, for sure. All right, let's talk about that playoff game. Let's just get right into the East semifinal now. Ticats head into Montreal once again to take on the Alouettes in the East semifinal on Saturday afternoon. The game kicks off at 3 p.m. Eastern at Percival Molson Stadium on the campus of McGill University. This is, Mike, the third straight year that these two teams will hook up in the first round of the playoffs. The Ticats won the first game 23-12 in Hamilton in 2021, and the Owls exacted a measure of revenge the following year, winning last year's East Semi by a score of 28-17. Been a bit of a weird week here in Hamilton. Orlando Steinhauer came out refusing to name a starting quarterback earlier this week, saying that both Bo Levi Mitchell and Matthew Schiltz will play in this game. And then Thursday's practice came, and this is where I was gobsmacked final full practice of the week and it was Schiltz not Mitchell taking the majority of the first team reps I've been to a lot of practices especially this season and the players who get the reps on day three which is what Thursday was that's usually the guys that are going to start this leads me to believe that it will be Schiltz starting on Saturday which is a huge development it's I don't even know what to say. What are your thoughts on all this QB stuff? And, and then we'll kind of get into the rest of what we're kind of expecting from this game. But this is a bit of a mind-blowing piece of news, right? It was mind-blowing to hear that he's getting the first team reps this late in uh, in uh, the practice schedule, right? So I, I just don't I don't know what to think of this. I feel more comfortable personally with Schiltz running up a little bit starting quarterback and to me 
stable play. But if Schultz is the starter, it doesn't make any sense that will come in just will the starter and make sense for Schultz to come in with his running abilities and all that stuff. But I just don't see how these players are going to be playing if Schultz is the starting quarterback. But perfectly my mind, I think Schultz is a better player at this point in time in his career than Boldy by Mitchell. Yeah, I don't understand your your point about starting Bo, bringing in Schultz. And that, that's why I thought this was gonna, when, he, when he said, oh, both guys are going to play. I was like, okay, Mitchell will start. They'll bring in some packages for Schultz. He'll, run, uh, he'll come in on some plays where he could run, use his athleticism to run, but he can also throw because he is a quarterback. It's not like some wildcat scenario where you're throwing a running back back there. But it still comes off to me as very... You brought you brought Bo in and paid him all this money to be the guy in this situation. And I understand that things happen over the course of a season and alter those plans. But and I don't want to get into uh, what do we do in the offseason talk yet? We're not there. We'll get into that, clear, you know, a couple weeks from now, hopefully three or four weeks from now when after we celebrate a championship. But this starts to become is this another Dane Evans situation? Like is Bo a one and done guy here because you don't go and trade for a guy like that. Give him that type of money, and then at the when he's, I won't say clearly healthy, but apparently healthy, he's played the last three weeks sparingly, but he still played. This is the reason you brought this guy in. The the whole point of not sticking with Dane was you didn't think he could get the job done in the clutch, so you go and get a guy that you think can. Now whether you, there's a lot of history of Bo not getting it done in the biggest of situations. I understand that as well, but he's a big game guy that, that that's the reputation that he's kind of carried with him. That's what you thought you were bringing in. Now you come to what is at, to this point in the year, the biggest game of your season and he's going to sit on the bench. Like it's just, it's very, it, it, I don't know if desperation's the right word, but it comes off as a very like, ah, <clears throat> uh, how, how do you, how do you put it? Like, it's as if Steinhauer feels like he's coaching for his job and he thinks Schultz gives mm. him the best chance to win. Like if he loses, he'd rather lose with Schultz than with Bo, because if you lose with Bo, then it's like, okay, we've made all these moves on with the roster and it's still, we ended up eight and 10 again. We lost to Montreal in the East semi again. What's, what's the fix now? And then it's, does ownership look at the coach? And I'm not saying Steinhauer should be fired. In fact, I'm, I would say the complete opposite. I don't think he should go anywhere, quite frankly, but that's what this, this feels like a desperation move by, by the head coach. Like I just, I can't wrap my head around. And if it works, kudos, you, you made the right call. If it doesn't work, you're going to be second guessed from now until training camp next year. Just feels like a, I don't know. I'm not saying it's a bad move. I'm not saying I disagree with the move. I just think it's a little bit of a head scratcher. That's all. Yeah, and I think that it's the opposite. If 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 Bo starts and they get mollywopped and they get killed, then it's going to be like, oh, so this is the guy you brought in. This is your savior, and this mm-hmm. is what he shows in the playoffs. Um, so it's it is to be to make this decision so late is it is kind of maybe. Um, I, I don't know, man. It, 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 we're just going to have to wait and see how this plays out. Is there a bit of mindfuckery uh, that's going here with Orlando Sanhera trying to just maybe Bo gets a start, um, even though Schultz had most of the reps on, on the late 
practice? Like, I, I don't know. Is that possible? I mean, it's possible. But the thing with go, if you've ever been to a CFL, I'm talking to the audience here because I know, Mike, you work during the day, so you can't go to practices. But if you ever go to a practice, like, they're only a couple of hours long. Those reps are necessary. Those reps mm-hmm. are in short supply and coaches don't just give them to backup players for the sake of giving them to backup players. Like you want, you're implementing your game plan. You're doing stuff like going against the scout team defense. This is what Montreal tends to, it's a second and eight situation. This is what Montreal's defense tends to run. Here's what we're going to try to run to counteract that sort of thing. I, I don't see it as, as any sort of like mind game or messing like perhaps the we're recording this on Thursday night depth charts will come out tomorrow afternoon on Friday. Perhaps Mitchell's still listed as a starter. I, maybe I, I just don't know. Like it, this is unlike anything I had ever seen, like even during, and I wasn't as embedded during like the Mazzoli Dane stuff. And even last year, uh, I, I was, I was there most of the time, but it, Dane was still getting the vast majority of those first team reps, even going into the playoff game where he was pulled about midway through, he had struggled. It, it just feels like a very, it's one of those things, like I said, either we're going to second guess it to death if it doesn't work mm-hmm. and he's going to get a whole heaping helping of praise if the Ticats pull off this upset on Saturday. So it's one or the other for, for Steinauer here. And I mean, I give him credit for having the balls to do it, but if it doesn't work out, the questions he's going to be asked in the aftermath, I don't necessarily know if the, that, that press conference he's going to hold in the, uh, in the bowels of uh, Molson stadium there is going to be very friendly. Cause he's, and understandably so like, I, I, I know he can be a little testy when he doesn't like when things aren't going his way. And if they lose on Saturday, things obviously didn't go their way. He's going to get second guessed on this and he's going to have to stand there and he's going to have to eat it. And if he doesn't, then we're going to have a bit of a different conversation when we get back here next week and talk about the loss. But just, uh, I don't know, man, it's a, it's a, it's a weird one. Not something I expected us to be talking about going into the playoff game, but yet uh, here we are. So what, yeah, outside of this though, what are you expecting from this game? Like, do you think the Ticats can pull this one off? They're three and a half point underdogs going into the game. What What are you thinking from, like, I, I know if if anyone out there who hasn't signed up for Patreon, Mike put out, uh, we put out his episode of Podski Wall, which is a singular show, kind of went into in depth a little bit into his disappointment in this season. Is, is does that carry over into this game? Like, are you, will this be a, oh, they won, great. Or will this be a, they have no chance. You know what I mean? Like, are you, will you be surprised if they win and will you be devastated if they lose or like, where do you kind of landing on this? I will be surprised if they win, but I won't be shocked. I think these two teams are pretty close, even though the records, you know, uh, Montreal has three more wins than Hamilton in the regular season. I think incidentally, how many times they beat the Ticats this year. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think there's advantages, for Montreal on the defensive side of the ball, but I also think that Hamilton has advantages on the offensive side of the ball. I personally think this is going to come down to the wire and Montreal is going to kick a last second field goal to win it. Uh, um, you know, Mark Washington will just sit back and go here, take it, just take it. We'll sit back 20 yards off the receivers and Montreal get into field goal range. will kick the field goal and win the game. That's how I think it's going to happen. I think Hamilton will cover the three and a half, but I think they'll lose by about three points. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm landing on this one too. Like I want to 
I want to believe my, Josh. Here's here's my thing. They they've lost six straight to Montreal. They've lost six straight to Toronto. Those are the two teams they got to beat to get to the cup. I can't sit here in good conscience and say they're going to win this game. Like the fan part of me is like, no, they're going to go in there and they're going to they're going to they're going to learn from what they the mistakes they made. It was a two point loss against them in the last game. Like you you, you all the rationalizations as as irrational as this as a fan, you're thinking like. No, they can go in there and win this game. And of course, any team can beat any other team on any given day. We see it every year. I mean, the Ticats beat BC and Winnipeg this year. So anything can happen. But six in a row is six in a row. And the Owls, whether it's Jason Moss, whether it's Danny Machocho, whether it's Cody Fajardo, whether it was Trevor Harris, they just have this team's number right now. And sometimes it's in sports, it's just a case of, Okay, maybe you get beat, you get beat, you get beat, and then you beat them. Or maybe sometimes you got to hope that someone else knocks them off. Unfortunately, with the CFL and the playoffs, the Ticats don't have that option. There's not someone else that can knock the Owls off and get them out of the way for them. They have to do it themselves. I think this game is the closest we'll see between these two teams in the last few years. Because prior to Montreal beating, going on this run, the Ticats tended to beat Montreal a little bit more than they would lose to them. But I think this is this is going to be the game. I think both teams are going to play a little tight. Cody Fajardo's not known as a big game player. He he hasn't exactly lit the world on fire in in the big games he played with the Riders. So it's not as if he's you know he's not the second coming of of Ricky Ray where it's like oh this is Mr. Playoffs. You know what I mean? So there is the possibility they could force him into some mistakes. He is a tight cats killer though. I think he's won six of the seven games he's played against them. He puts up some pretty good numbers, so he seems to have a. And the Ticats always have trouble with kind of mobile quarterbacks. It, this this feels like to to me, this is the one where if you win this one, you kind of get the monkey off your back, and then you go into Toronto the following week, and there's no pressure on you anymore. You've won a playoff game. You're going against a team that's tied the record for most wins in the rate, like all the pressures on the Argos if, if they meet the cats in the next round. But this one's just like, I, I just can't in good conscience say, I think the tie cats are going to win simply because it's been two years now since we've actually seen them beat the Alouettes in a game that mattered. You know what I mean? So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to believe I, I will until the final whistle, I will believe in my heart of hearts that they can win this game but trying to be objective, trying to analyze this game from the facts, it does feel like an Owlets victory. Like I, I just can't look at it any other way right now. Yeah, they're at home. They've been better all season long. Although they've beaten up on a lot of. Um, oh, they're opponents. eleven and zero against teams under five hundred, and zero and seven against the Argos, Lions, and Bombers. Like they yeah. beat bad teams, they get obliterated by good teams that they're the very definition. I know they're 11 and seven, but they're the very definition of mediocre. I think a big thing in this game is going to be if we can get pressure off the ends, mm-hmm. like that's what we need. We need to, cause Cody Fajardo obviously can't handle pressure. Okay. He needs a clean pocket or he will get those, uh, those legs, legs will start going and he'll start running out of the pocket and it will, it will ruin his, his game. So, and it's been a tough, it's been an uphill battle to get pressure off the edges this season for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But if magically we can get that, I think we'll have a much better chance at beating the Alouettes. Well, you get the pressure that forces errant throws. He can't sit back there. He likes to throw deep. I know he's not a great deep ball thrower, but he likes to throw deep. He's got some big play receivers, you know, Phil Pot, Mac, 
He's, I know he's got some guys that can go over the middle as well, and there's no K on Julian Grant in this one. And maybe Greg Ellingson's coming back, but I'm not sure. I mean, Greg Ellingson hasn't barely played all season anyway, so it's not like he'd be a, a big addition to the receiving core regardless. So if they can stop the run and force the Owls into, like, second and long situations, that's – I mean, it's a Mark Washington defense, so second and long is really second and short. But you want to think mm-hmm. that they could – they could force him into some mistakes because Fajardo's known for making mistakes. Like he's not, he's, he's far, like, I think he threw 14 touchdown passes and like 12 interceptions this year. Like his numbers weren't fantastic and they haven't been throughout his career. He's been very much like one-to-one touchdown interception ratio guy throughout his entire starting tenure, starting with the Riders in 2019 and going through this season. So it's not as if he's, he's someone who's, who's going to go out there and beat you. The game plan needs to work. He need like you said, he needs to have a clean pocket. Once he starts doing those, twisty twirls and starts dipsy doodling out of the pocket. That's when you can kind of get him. So they got to bring, I, I don't know if they need to blitz more. I don't know if they got to try to get it with just four man and, and play coverage at the back. It's, it's an uphill climb though. Cause this, this offense has been fairly productive against the tie cats in particular. They were, they blew them out in the two previous meetings prior to this past weekend. I think they've won all, but two of the, those, the six they played against them by double digits. So it hasn't necessarily been a, a particularly close rivalry between these two the last couple of years, but there's the the path to the Ticats to win is there. Control the ball, run the ball down their throat. Don't let Montreal's run game get going and force for to win a couple of mistakes. It sounds like a lot, but you get, a, you get two or three interceptions. Three is probably pushing it, but you get a couple of interceptions may, or just a couple of turnovers in general, create some short fields for your offense and don't settle for field goals and, and get touchdowns instead the, the, like I said, the path is there for the Ticats to get this win. I just don't know if they can do it. Yeah, and with Stanback has obviously had a, <clears throat> a kind of a letdown season, and uh, but but he's played well against the Tiger Cats. I think in the first game he had sixteen something yards rushing, which isn't spectacular, but it wasn't terrible. And then in the in the next game he had over a hundred yards rushing. So he's not played well this season, except for against the Tiger Cats. So that's a bit of a concern as well. And they have running the ball as well that can be effective. So it's going to be important to run game as well. All right. So we're going to put a pin in the East semifinal talk for now. Mike and I will be back. What do we decide? Noon Eastern. We will be back with Mm -hmm. a live pregame show ahead of the East semi. We're probably going to go about – Eh, 35, 45 minutes. Hopefully we're going to kind of dive into these things, probably talk about the offenses as a whole defense, get, get more in depth with it. This is kind of a, yep. uh, a moose bouche, if you will, for what we'll be doing on Saturday afternoon, just ahead of the game. So hopefully you can join us for that. We'll talk more about it. We'll know what the depth charts are. We can kind of get into who's in, who's out, what matchups we're going to see. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll do all that fun stuff there. Let's continue talking about some Ticats news, though. The CFL announced the divisional awards and divisional all-stars this week, and there were not a lot of Tiger Cats involved in either, which isn't all that much of a surprise given that this year the East Division Awards, the Argos were so good, the Owls had a decent season, and Hamilton did not. Tabbies were shut out of the East Division Awards. The Argos took six of the seven awards, and it was uh, Marc-Antoine Decroix who took the other from the Alouettes. Three Tiger Cats, though, made the East Division All-Star team. Receiver Tim White, offensive lineman Brandon Revenberg, and defensive lineman Casey Sales. When looking at both the Divisional Awards and the All-Star team, are there any players that weren't selected that stand out to you? Or is this just 
the Argos won so many games. The Owls won more games. It makes sense that their their teams would be. I think the Argos had 14 division all stars. Just makes sense that their players would would litter these lists. Well, I'm just going to talk from a Ticat perspective. I, I thought Richard Leonard and James Butler Absolutely. were both deserving of uh, all-star nods. They've had spectacular seasons. <clears throat> you know, A.J. Ouellette has been great for the Toronto Argonauts, but I think James Butler overall has has more has had more of an impact on his team. So um, I would have went with Butler and Richard Leonard. Uh, yeah, I... The Butler one to me is I can see the argument against, you know what I mean? Like I can, yeah, yep. I can understand you, you put it up against their numbers are very similar. I think Ouled had more touchdowns, at least on the ground. I think he had a better yards per carry. So I can at least see the argument there. So it's like, I don't think Butler was as much of a snub as Richard Leonard was, but Richard Leonard was absolutely a snub. Brandon Dandridge was one of the uh, cornerbacks for this team. Quantez Stiggers was one as well. I got no problems with that. I said weeks ago, I think he's the best first year defensive back this league has seen since Delvin bro. He's 21 years old. Didn't play college football. I think he was phenomenal for Toronto. I got no problems with that one. Brandon Dandridge missed time and wasn't that great. Like his numbers are okay. Like I think he had, a, he had touchdowns, obviously. I think he had three touchdowns this year, some, some interceptions. Team just didn't throw Richard Leonard's way. They didn't, they, yeah. they stayed away from because the tight, the rest of the tight cat secondary was pretty young and yeah, and Leonard most of the season played out on the the field corner spot, but he played field halfback for a lot of it as well. And they didn't go after him there, which is a, a spot where quarterbacks like to throw. To me, his disinclusion from this list is an absolute travesty. And the other one that I'm going to go with, and I've been pounding the desk for, we pounded the desk for him last week. Javon Leak was the special teams player on the all-star team. How, and he had a good season, four return touchdowns. I think he led the league in punt return yardage or kickoff return yardage, something like that. He had a good season. Didn't set the world on fire. How is the special teams player not Cathell Flowers Lloyd? The man had 31, 31 special teams tackles this year. He led the league by 10 over the guy that finished in second place. He's the first guy to have 30 or more special teams tackles in almost a decade and a half since 2009. And he finished seven away from breaking the record for most in a season. Like I know that coverage guys don't get anywhere near the respect they deserve, but how this guy wasn't a division, like he wasn't the Ticats nominee for most outstanding special teams player, which to me I thought was ludicrous. Yeah. And, and he wasn't the, the, like, what more does this man have to do to get some respect in this bloody league? Like he's been, again, it's most upsetting. These are all stars. Like no one, I, I get it. Touchdowns, numbers, splashy, blah, blah, blah. You're looking at guys who were the best at what they did. There's an argument in my opinion that Flowers Lloyd was the most outstanding player for the Hamilton Tiger Cats this year. Nobody on this team. And I don't think anyone in the special teams, for either side, east or west, was better at what they did, at what their job was, than he was. And I think it's an absolute goddamn travesty that he was not named a league all-star. It's borderline ludicrous and and just ridiculous, in my opinion, that he is not on that list of players. Just you want like if you're just gonna give it to quarterbacks for MOP, if you're just gonna get like it can only be offensive players. Like, why are these guys, other guys even bothering to play? You know what I mean? Why, if it's just going to be return men for the special team spot, why do these guys even bother going out there? Like, it's just it's just ridiculous in my opinion. 
yeah, it's just not, uh, not 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 a sexy pick, you know. Javon Leak is is more sexy. It's uh, more exciting to watch on the field. Blah blah blah. But yeah, I'm totally with you. And same with Richard Leonard. It's like mm-hmm. you can't really judge DBs on statistics, right? Because look at a guy like Delvin Bro. For years and years, he was the best cornerback in the league. He played for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and but his numbers weren't spe- like he wasn't getting six or seven interceptions a season because everyone was scared to throw his way. So you just can't judge DBs on stats. And I'm with you with uh, Flowers Lloyd as well. He's uh, I don't understand, especially how he didn't get the nod from his team, mm-hmm. like his own team. Like uh, it, it's mind boggling. And he doesn't you're absolutely right. He doesn't get the respect that he deserves. And those guys, you know, they put their bodies on the line every single time they run down there. They should get a lot more respect. Yeah. Uh, League-wide, though, for me, Jake Serezna didn't get voted. Dietrich Nichols, who might be the best halfback in the CFL from Winnipeg, didn't get voted. And Austin Mack, who finished second in the league in receiving yards, wasn't an East Division All-Star, but DeMonte Coxey was. And nothing against DeMonte Coxey. He had some big games this year. Austin Mack was the there's an argument that he was the best receiver in the CFL this year. Like, I I don't know what the awards voters and what the all-star voters were thinking this year, what they were smoking when they came up with these lists. But some of these, some of these guys, like to me, Austin Max, the biggest, the biggest snub of uh, him and Richard Leonard are the two biggest snubs league wide from, from guys that should have been, been all-stars this year. I just, I don't understand how the number two, maybe even arguably number three, or four, maybe even four offensive option for the Argos it, just because they won 16 games is an all-star, but Austin Mack, who finished second or maybe was third in the league in receiving yards, he was top five regardless. Like, I don't know, man. It's just sometimes I, I think, and, and I'm guilty of this as well. Like I don't get a chance to watch every single second of every single game, but I see enough to know who the all-star should be. And Austin, Austin Mack should have been an all-star, like without question, in my opinion. Yeah, Austin Mack has been uh, tremendous. I know that he's been out with injury at some points in the season, but, uh, you know. But who has been? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's been tremendous all season long. So I'm with you on that. All right. Well, at least we pounded the table for the right guys this time. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes they say that these all-star votes, these awards, they go to the guy the year after he deserves it. Like you have the breakout season and he doesn't get recognized. And it's the next year when it's like, oh, he's made a name for himself. Then he gets it. Uh, maybe some of these guys that, although that doesn't really account for Richard Leonard. Richard Leonard's been in this league a long time, mm-hmm. been been pretty damn good his entire career. So to me, his that, award, that's, his award will be signing a big old contract in the off season. Yeah, with the Grey Cup sin, sitting beside him when he does it, right? Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> All right, it's been a while since we played a game here, but uh, you up for a little round of uh, fill in the blank there, Mike? Yes, I like games. All right, <laughs> you said that so <laughs> creepily, but uh, I still like oh, it. All right, uh, so the Saskatchewan Rough Riders last week, we didn't cover this then, but they announced that they would not be renewing the contract of head coach Craig Dickinson. I know that there's there's always some funny stuff with language, but we didn't renew his contract means you fired him because I know they didn't say they fired him, but we're not renewing his contract. Nope, you fired him because if you weren't firing him, you'd renew his contract, so he got fired. Since then, we've seen a number of candidates floating around, names such as Scott Milanovic, Hamilton's offensive coordinator, Argos defensive coordinator Corey Mace, Mark Killam from from uh, Calgary, Buck Pierce from Winnipeg, Jordan McSimmick from BC, and even Henry Burris threw his name into the ring of candidates for this job, which I think is absolutely spectacular. So, Mike, the coaching candidate that you would hire to be the next Riders bench boss would be blank. I'm going to go 
someone that's not even on that list, Josh. Oh. I'm going to go with a former Saskatchewan Rough Riders quarterback who won the Grey Cup for them in 2007. It is Kerry Joseph, who's Whoa. been a coach. Who's been a coach ever since he left the CFL. He was originally uh, just a training camp intern with the Saints in 2014. Then he went to McNeese State. He was the offensive co-offensive coordinator. And then he was with the Bucks, and then he was back with McNeese State and South uh, South Southeastern Louisiana as a running backs coach, and presently with the Seattle Seahawks as a assistant quarterbacks coach. I think that uh, to get some new blood in this league and the coaching ranks would be great, and to bring in a guy like Kerry Joseph, who who has experience coaching, Henry Burst does as well, but he's just not to the extent of Kerry Joseph. So I think that would be a nice fit for them. Uh, bringing a guy that uh, you know has had time in Saskatchewan and knows the pressure of that market. Do you want my real answer or do you want my fun answer? Uh, let's go fun. Henry Burris, baby. I want to hang okay. to be the coach there because how many years did Ryder fans hate Henry Burris? I would, and you know, remember when he was in Ottawa and he's like, I've turned around four franchises in this league and take that, take your comments and shove them or whatever it is that he Mm -hmm. said. Oh man, him in that pressure cooker, him having to go weekly on Michael Ball's radio show and answer some questions. Oh baby, that would be a whole heck of a lot of fun. My actual answer is Scott Milanovic. I think Scott Milanovic has shown this year that he can still call a heck of an offense. He came into a Hamilton team that was averaging about 20 points a game, got them up to about 25 points a game. I know that your people are like, well, that's not all that much. It's what Milanovic has done offensively with the Ticats would have put him in the top four in terms of points per game. So it's, it's fairly significant. So I, I just think that that's a team they've gone, they've gone with a lot of defensive, like I know Dickinson was a uh, special teams guy, but they went with him. And then before him, it was, uh, it was Chris Jones, who was a defensive guy. It was Corey Chamblin, who was a defensive guy. And I think before that, it was it was Ken Miller, who I think he might have been an offensive guy. But it's been a while since I've had an offensive guy there. I think they sh- they got to go with the offensive side of the ball. I think the, the defense, they'll get that figured out with, you know, player changes and what have you. And But the offense, to me, is, is where they've got some young skill position guys there. I think Milanovic, we saw in Hamilton, got a lot of Taylor Powell. He's he's done a lot with with some young players in Hamilton, so I think he'd be the smart choice. But man, oh man, do I ever want it to be Henry Burris? Kerry Joseph's a nice outside the box choice for from you, by the way. But oh boy, do I not I just the I, idea of Hank sitting on the sideline as they're getting absolutely pounded on Labor Day by the Bombers just brings fills my heart with joy. And he wants it too. I, I think does. Unless, unless it was someone else impersonating him on Twitter, but I don't think so. He seems to be pretty enthused about the opportunity. So, I mean, <laughs> I would enjoy that as well. All right. So, despite another disappointing season, the Ottawa Red Blacks announced that their head coach, Bob Dice, would be returning for a second year as the Red Blacks uh, bench boss there. But the question they have is what they're going to do at quarterback. Dustin Crum came on and led the team for most of the season. But recently, I think Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, Jeremiah Mazzoli came out, who season was ended again due to injury, second consecutive year that that's happened, said he wants to keep playing and wants to come back to Ottawa to do so. So never really got any runway there. He's played, what, maybe five or six games with the Red Blacks since signing there after leaving Hamilton following the 2021 season. So he's never really got a chance there. If you were in charge of Ottawa, this was this was your decision. The thing that you would do at the quarterback position is 
blank. I would try <clears throat> if Mazzoli truly wants to come back. He, he can't come back as you know the starter, or he can't come back on a starter salary. I would try to get him to lower his contract, and I'd bring him in because there's no harm in that. But I, it's just you know you keep Crumb and you you ride with Crumb because I think you saw some things out of him this year. Obviously, it it, it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I just think it's so risky to bring back Jeremiah Mazzoli after two years in a row that he hurt his knees. Uh, I just, I just can't see them going into the season with him lamented as the starting guy and with the starting guy's contract. Trade Mazzoli back to Hamilton for Bo who says no. I mean, you bring yeah, Mazzoli I mean, in. Jeremiah Mazzoli as the backup. Sure, that'd be great. This is what I mean. You bring him in. You bring it. You you do the same thing. He takes a pay cut. Takes it maybe a fifty percent pay cut because I know he signed a contract extension with Ottawa last year and added another year to his deal. Have him take a pay cut. Sign Matthew. Sign Matthew Schiltz back. Bring them both in with Taylor Powell. Trade for him because the Ticats aren't starting Bo. So what's the point in keeping a half a million dollar quarterback around if you're not going to start him in a playoff game? Bring Mazzoli in, have him go to training camp, have him battle out for the starting job. Winner gets the job, loser's the backup, Powell's the number three. It, Mazzoli and Schultz are very similar type players. Now, there's an age difference there as well. Mazzoli's not as mobile as he once was, but they play the game. They both have big arms. They play the game very similarly. You wouldn't have to make a huge change to your playbook because the Ticats, I, I do think Scott Milanovic is going to get the job in Saskatchewan. So... And even if he doesn't, I don't think he's coming back to Hamilton as the offensive coordinator. So the Ticats are going to be in the 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 market for a new offensive coordinator this offseason. Ottawa can start fresh at the quarterback position. They can keep Dustin Crum around. And if Bo falters there, they they at least have Crum. I don't think Crum's the guy. I think we saw some greatness out of him to start. And then once the league caught on to him, didn't really pan out for him. Ottawa started to stink and he didn't play that well. Mazzoli comes back to a place that, for the most part, he's beloved. I know that there's always going to be fans that dislike him, and I got friends that don't necessarily care for Mazzoli all that much, but they also don't like Bo, so uh, this would be kind of a a Sophie's choice here, I think, between the two. But he comes back to a place he's familiar with, a team that he understands. Bo gets a fresh start in Ottawa. The Ticats don't have to – like, they were at their best when they had Mazzoli making decent but not – otherworldly money and they had a good backup behind him in Dane. You can do the same thing here. Which team says no to a deal like that? Like I don't think I think both sides would be would be more and the the Ticats have to figure out something at quarterback like this. This is the okay, they played, let's see, since since the 2019 the end of the 2019 season. They started Mazzoli in the East semi in 2021. They played both in the East final. Dane started the Grey Cup. Then Dane started the playoff game last year, but then got pulled halfway through. And now Schultz is going to start this playoff game. Like they've cycled through way too many quarterbacks without ever committing to one guy as the guy. So why not do that with two guys who are at least similarly skilled? Like the they they play the position the same way. Instead of you have a kind of a statuesque, immobile bow with the more mobile Schultz. It doesn't make sense from a kind of a comp like they complement each other but you don't really necessarily need that in quarterbacks 
This way you can tailor the playbook to both guys who can do it all. I, again, I don't think that's what's going to happen, but I'm just kind of putting that out there. Like why, why not make a move there? Because there's not, it's not as if, if either team wants to go quarterback shopping this off season, what are their options? You know what I mean? Like this isn't, this isn't a year where like Nathan Rourke's not coming through that door. He, I don't think he's coming back. And if he did, he probably goes back to BC. And if that happens, yeah, the dominoes could fall, but I don't necessarily see that happening this winter. So I don't know if both teams kind of want to start fresh. Why not make that move, make, make a move like that? I know there's definitely yeah, be some able events. I'd be happy to see it. Yeah. It's an interesting thought for sure. Uh, and I know you said, you don't think it's going to happen. I just think uh, Berkey's too loyal to Jeremiah Mazzoli. I don't see that yeah. happening, but you know, crazier things have happened. And if the Hamilton tiger cats are not committed or don't have confidence in Bo and they're not committed to Bo anymore, then, then get rid of him. And if we can bring in a, another experienced guy and he'll take way less than what Bo is making and be the backup, then I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Well, and if you get two quarterbacks for the price of one, which is essentially what you're doing, let's say that they, they would find the base salary for Schultz and Mazzoli would be about what Bo makes per year. Then one of them would get incentives if they were the starter, games played, blah, 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 blah. Well, now you've opened up some cap space to sign some other guys at other positions. Maybe you go and get uh, an experienced DB. Maybe you go and grab a, a more veteran pass rusher. Like, I'm not saying that Bo's contract hamstrings the team because it's not a hard cap. It's not as if, well, Bo makes this and that's – no, you can exceed the cap. And I think mo- more teams should exceed the cap, quite frankly, but that's neither here nor there. But this would, if if they don't want to go that route, this would get them two players for the price of one. Uh, I don't know. It just uh, – I'm just, I'm very curious to see where – I'm curious to see what happens on Saturday and then kind of what that leads to down the line. Like if they win yep. and it's a 2QB thing and it's all going great, well, then maybe this is the route they go moving forward. But at the same time, if Matthew Schultz comes in and wins a playoff game, wins a couple of playoff games, well, he's going to want to get paid. And you can't pay two quarterbacks – starter-ish money you, you just just can't it's bad economics but i don't think you should just hand the reins to schiltz like he's proven to be not very durable and i know that that's mazzoli's problem as well the last couple of years but prior to that he was mr durability but gets the knee injury in 2019 it's kind of been all downhill from then injury wise but Bose, like i again it's it's i know this we started ta- this talking about ottawa but it the idea came to my head about swapping qbs and now i just kind of keep going back to with what the Ticats are doing on Saturday at quarterback, what they were probably going to do with Schultz starting makes me wonder what their plans are going to be this off season. Cause they, they still seem somewhat committed to Bo, but saying things and doing things like it's actually speak louder than words, right? That's what we've heard since we were children. So I don't know, just, it just, it doesn't make sense to me to have a guy making half a million dollars and he's plastered to the bench. If, if he's going to be your starter, make him your starter, roll with him, win or lose, who cares? Like that's, mm-hmm. and if you're not going to, then get him off the books and go find someone else. Like I, I'm just, I didn't think given the move they made almost a year ago at this time that we'd be having another quarterback conversation late in the season. I thought things would be a lot more calmer and maybe they're as, as hectic as they've ever been, quite frankly. Yeah. And it's like over the years, they with the Tiger Cats have brought in the big stark quarterback that's supposed to be you know the savior of the franchise what's to bring us a great cup it didn't work with donnegan it didn't work with printers it didn't work with uh moss, moss kevin glenn henry no, burris no, now burris no, got no. burris got us to the great cup 
But yeah, and and Kevin Glenn, you know, had some good years. Kevin as well, Glenn was but, good, yeah. But uh, they never got us over the top to a championship. So it's just another quarterback that to throw in the in the in the wasteland of Hamilton Tiger Cats quarterbacks. So uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting offseason with. With this, you know, Hamilton's going to have some questions at quarterback, depending on what happens in the playoffs. Ottawa's going to have some questions. Um, even Edmonton, you know, is going to have some questions at quarterback. So it's going to be an interesting offseason, I think. But I don't even want to talk about the offseason yet because we have it's some It's not offseason time. You're right. Yes. It is not offseason time yet. It is playoff season, baby. So we're going to get out of here now. But don't forget, we're going to do a live pregame show noon eastern on saturday leading into we're not going to go the full three hours before <laughs> that would be ridiculous probably about an hour or so talking you never about know everything. With us, josh you never yeah, know with I mean, us. <laughs> yeah that, that that's fair you, you do never know but i'm i'm saying we'll probably go to about an hour give you guys a little taste of what we're kind of thinking going into that game probably make some predictions maybe get a little wild with some some bold who knows we're, we haven't really nailed down what we're going to talk about but we're going to talk about everything and anything to do with the east semifinal. Then we're going to go live right after the game, probably a good 10, 15 minutes after, after we've gathered our thoughts. Mike, if we lose, we'll probably have to uh, gather himself emotionally after that, but uh, we'll come right back on here, talk about everything that happened. Hopefully we're talking about a Ticats win, but you never know. And if you can't get enough of that, you can always join us over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Podski. We, we, we have a growing number of fans over there that are listening to our stuff. I do twice, two or three times a week. I'm telling you what's going on with the Thai Cats. Mike's got a great show. We're giving gambling advice there. We got some fun ideas coming for, for the off season. So just because the season is over doesn't mean the extra stuff is going to stop. It might not be as plentiful as we have been doing during the regular season, but there's still going to be enough stuff to keep you satiated on everything. Hamilton maybe, uh, maybe some throwback stuff like we did uh, when we watched the East final from 1998 uh, a couple months ago. So yeah, there'll be some Indeed. stuff. There'll be, there'll be some stuff there. Our top tier is $9 a month. I spent more than $9 on Halloween candy yesterday after it well went on sale. So I spent 10 times that amount on Halloween candy when it went on sale on November 1st. So for nine (laughs) bucks a month, I don't think you can find a better deal anywhere for what we're putting out there. So come join us over there. But for Podski Wee Wee this week, I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.